Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast Podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, April 7th, 2019, and this is show number 726. Well, I'm coming to you from Zion National Park. Steve and I are visiting our good friends, Dean and Suzanne, who have a home with a view like nothing you have ever seen in your lifetime. I've been sharing the view with the uh, live audience here. It's pretty cool. We got mountains in both directions. It is a spectacular place. But that's why the mic sounds a little bit different. There's maybe a little bit more echo to the uh, recording, but the show must go on. So Dean has loaned me his office and we're, uh, we're getting it going on here. Well, hey, I've started doing something new in the podcast feed, and I'm wondering whether any of you have noticed it. I was chatting to Bart about how great it is that if you're listening to a Mac Geek Gab podcast, if they talk about something and you want to you check it out, there's a link right in the podcatcher to that device or software or article they're talking about. I was telling him I'd love it if he would do it for Let's Talk Photography, because when I'm listening uh, to Let's Talk Photography and I want to say maybe see one of the photos they're talking about, I have to open up a web browser, go to lets-talk.ie, drill down into Let's Talk Photography to see the links. So I said, hey, you should really put links into the podcast feed so that we can just click and go right to what you're talking about. After I told him he should do it, I realized I don't do that. Anyway, I'm still experimenting on the best way to do it, but if you look in your podcatcher uh, from last week and actually the week before, you should see the links to the blog posts at the very least for the things that I've talked about. Let me know what you think and if you think this is worth the effort, if you have any better ideas on formatting. I know the Mac Geek guys just kind of do a a, um, a listing of the links, not a bunch of uh, you know text and instruction around it, so maybe that's the way I should go. Anyway, let me know what you guys think. Well, this week's Chit Chat Across the Pond is an episode of Programming by Stealth, where Bart starts the groundwork to teach us AJAX. Now, you may think you understand HTTP and URLs, but if you're like me, you have no idea how much more there is to know. I know this sounds super nerdy, but I actually love this episode. You can find it in your podcatcher of choice under Programming by Stealth or the full Chit Chat Across the Pond feed and you'll be able to find it on podfeed.com, hopefully. But tonight I will finish uh, connecting, putting the show together on top of this show and get it all done. I've been having way too much fun hiking in Zion to get around to doing all the work it requires to keep the show going. Luckily for us this week, uh, we have yet another review from Alistair Jenks. It has been so awesome having his uh, reviews ready for me because I know I could take the time to go hiking like I have been. Uh, we're going to do his review, then I'm going to do one fairly short article, uh, but then Bart has a double-length security bits for us. He's got some real, real interesting information, and it's going to be a plenty long show, even though I'm not going to have contributed very much of it. Let's go ahead and kick off with Alistair Jenks. The date was January 2007. The iPhone was known, but not released. The iPod Touch was not known. I was a recent convert to a 20-inch iMac, and my only other Apple product was a 5th generation iPod. Little did I know that iPod would fail horribly a couple of months later, but it was my precious, and I had just bought some new software for it. Listeners may remember that Apple sold a handful of games for the video-capable iPods, but this was not software that ran on the iPod. The application was called Pizzizz from Tech Tool Software in Australia. Before you worry I am reviewing a 12-year-old product, let me wind the clock forward a bit. 
Back in 2007, Pazuz was a Mac application that generated MP3 files that you could then load on your iPod via iTunes. In 2019, Pazuz is an iOS app that generates audio on the fly. It has always had the same goal, helping you calm your mind. That goal in the original version could be on deep sleep or a nap. Later came an additional focus mode, which is designed to help you focus while you're awake. So what does Pazuz produce? Essentially, you get a soundstage, by default soothing music, and a voice coaching you to sleep or to focus. It may sound simple, but to quote the Pazuz website, you get human-composed, algorithmically remixed sounds, referred to as dreamscapes, along with narrations based on proven clinical sleep interventions. To get the most out of Pazuz requires a subscription. $9.99 US dollars per month or $99.99 US dollars per year. However, you can use the classic features of the original Pazuz, sleep and nap only, without any outlay, and I've been using it like this for a while successfully. The subscription unlocks additional features, including the focus module, a lot of variety in the dreamscapes and narrations, including monthly updates to this content, and more customizations. Used without a subscription, you have just the one music type and one narration each for the sleep and nap modes. A subscription adds 33 more dreamscapes, 13 focusscapes, and 5 additional narration styles. After using Pazuz in free mode for a while, I recently subscribed and have now tried out a few variations. I've long known that I sleep better when I can hear rain against the windows, and now I can use Pazuz to get endless rain. Or thunderstorms if I'm feeling a bit adventurous. I briefly tried one alternate narration, but found the difference in the voice a little jarring compared to what I was used to. I suspect I need to give it a chance, though. The one trouble I had with using Pazuz was how to physically listen. Having recently purchased some sleep phones from Acoustic Sheep, I now have the perfect tool, though if you sleep alone or have an understanding partner, you may be able to play it out loud. While the sleep mode is my primary use to combat bouts of insomnia, I have also tried the nap mode on a few occasions, and after subscribing, I was able to give the focus mode a go. I used it at work while writing some code, and it seemed to work pretty well using my Sony WH-1000XM3 noise-cancelling headphones. The focusscape I used was a central railway station. Because Pazuz is all about sound, I thought it appropriate to include some recordings of the app in action. First up, here's a 30 second clip of the central terminal focusscape. Now, a 26-second clip of the default sleep dreamscape. About halfway through, I will switch the voice from male to female, an option that comes with a subscription. Now, rest is on your mind. But soon, rest will be taken by your body. For a few moments, I'll be speaking quietly with you, and there'll be some quiet music, and you might enjoy listening for a while to what I'm saying before drifting off into sleep. You can read all about the science behind Pizzas over on their website at pizzas.com. 
However, I can tell you that, for me, it works. I have theorized that at the very least, having a soothing voice in my head stops me from thinking about all those things that keep me awake. If you don't want to take my word for it, Paziz list a few testimonials from people you may have heard of. J.K. Rowling, His Royal Highness the Duke of York, and NBA star Roy Hibbert have all raved about it. You can find Paziz on the iOS App Store. Well, as much as I love having Alistair's recordings, listening to my voice after his voice, wow, that's a shocker. I'm going to blame it all on the mic and the echoey room, okay? We're just going to go with that. How many times has someone written to you to tell you that you use their old and busted email address and you should be using their new and shiny email address? It usually happens when somebody decides to finally retire their hotbunny73 at AOL.com address because they realize a grown-up person sounds like an idiot saying that out loud, no matter how fun it sounded in seventh grade. Now, while you're delighted to have them move on to hotbunny73 at gmail.com like a grown-up adult, this request from them requires work on your part to change to the correct address. Now, if you're on a Mac, you dutifully open up the Contacts app or Card Hop if you're one of the cool kids. You search for the person in question, edit their V-card, and delete the AOL account and verify that you have their fancy new Gmail account and you hit save. A while later, you send an email to them and they write back, with a more stern tone this time, that they told you not to use that AOL address. While confused, you go back to contacts, you check, and their AOL email address simply isn't there. So how could you have written to it? It turns out, Apple Mail has a secret database called Previous Recipients. In this database is every single address you've ever written to, and it's associated with the name of the person to whom you wrote the email. If you delete an address or an entire person from contacts, it is not deleted from this database. Now, the existence of this previous recipients uh, actually does solve a problem. Let's say you send me an email telling me how awesome the podcasts are. That would be awesome, so I would write back thanking you. I'll also print it out to show my friends and family how amazing the no-silly castaways are. As much as I will have enjoyed the email, I might not want to add you to my contacts. And yet, at some later date, maybe I want to write to you again. I could hunt down the email you sent me since I never throw them away, but with previous recipients sitting out there, your email address is always available to me. Now, some hardware and software vendors are worthy of being added to my contacts, but can you imagine if I had to put all of them in there to ever write to them again? Luckily, previous recipients saves everyone for me that I was ever interested in writing to from my Mac. Previous recipients sync across your Mac and iOS devices so they're available everywhere. This is, as described, a curse and a blessing. It's easy to start thinking that people are in your contacts, even though they are not. It's important to know about previous recipients and how to work with it, because if you switch to Android or Windows, you might be confused about why all of your contacts didn't port over to the new platform. The good news is that you have easy access to previous recipients. Open up Mail, select Window from the menu bar, and then choose Previous Recipients. It's quite likely that you'll find an enormous list of addresses in this window. The interface is really fantastic and intuitive, though, so it's actually kind of fun to work in here. You'll see three sortable columns. You'll have na uh, name, email, and last used. That's just the date the last time you used that address. Next to addresses that are already in your contacts, you'll see a tiny icon to the left of their name that looks like a contact card. For example, good friend of the show, Troy Shimkus, is in my previous recipients. I can see two entries for Troy. 
One shows his name and iCloud email address, and that entry has the little contact card next to his name because I added him to my contacts. However, right below his iCloud address, I also see a Gmail address that I can tell is also Troy, even though it doesn't say his name and there's no little contact card. He evidently wrote to me from that account. I would like to have Troy's Gmail address in my contacts too, so I can simply click on that Gmail address and there's a button in the bottom right that will become active when I when I select an address and it says add to contacts. Disappointingly, if you had a second address for someone to contacts, it is not smart enough to automatically merge the two entries. In the case of Troy's address, the, the system hadn't sleuthed out that it actually was Troy's address, so that failure to merge them is kind of understandable. But I found an address for Alistair Jenks where it did know it was his, and when I added it, I got two separate entries for Alistair over in Contacts. Now, it's a fairly simple process in Contacts to select the two entries associated with the contact and then select Merge Selected Cards from the Cards menu. But it seems that, you know, it really could be a little bit smarter than that. So when you work on your previous recipients, you're going to have to keep Contacts at the ready as you clean it up. Now, we talked up front about how your friend wants you to stop using HotBunny73 at AOL.com. Using the search and previous recipients for HotBunny73, we can now see both their AOL and Gmail addresses. Select the AOL account and, and then select the button labeled Remove from List. Now, do not do this unless you're 100% sure you want to get rid of it because there are no takesies backsies in this one. That contact is instantly removed with no confirmation required and no undo. You can also remove entries instantly with the delete key. Here's another problem to be solved where previous recipients causes a problem but can also solve it. Sometimes we have to enter an email address by hand. And being human, we may not type it correctly. If you do this and then send email to that incorrect address, it gets stored in previous recipients. After you get the bounce back email, you see your error and you type it incorrectly this time, but that mistake is still in previous recipients ready to be accidentally used again. At CES, I met Tai Takayanagi of DFree. He's got a very oddly formatted business address. It's Tai at www-biz.com. I didn't just type it in incorrectly once, I messed it up twice. The first time I typed www-biz.co, and let's see, the second time I did www.biz.com, which of course makes no sense. Anyway, finally I got it right, but now if I type tie into mail, I have three choices, only of one of which is the secret correct choice. A quick, tri- a quick trip to previous recipients, a search for tie, and I can see the three addresses and delete the two incorrect addresses permanently. As I mentioned earlier, this information syncs across all of your Macs and iPhones. Before I cleaned up my entries for Ty, I checked my iPhone and all three of the entries I had for him showed up when I typed Ty into mail. A few seconds after I deleted Ty's two erroneous addresses from previous recipients, I again typed Ty into mail on the iPhone, and I was delighted to see only the correct addresses for address for him as an option. Now, that's, there's not too much more to this tip, but I do have one more suggestion. I said there were three sortable columns, but I sort of lied. That column on the left with the little contact card is also sortable. So with previous recipients sorted by whether they have a contact card or not, you'll be able to find the people you meant to put into contacts more easily. I like to check previous, con- uh, previous recipients periodically to clean it up. And like I said, 
it's actually kind of enjoyable because it's so easy to work with. Now, go get rid of HotBunny73 at AOL.com already. I recently got a very lovely note from Janet McKenzie. She made a very generous donation via PayPal, which was awesome, but it was actually the note that meant even more to me. Here's what she wrote. High time for another little sign of my deep appreciation for your great podcasts, informative videos, and entertaining tales, all proving that women can't just do tech. We are really good at it. Thanks so much, Allison. Janet from Munich, a faithful and regular listener since, oh, around 2005. I have to tell you, my little heart was so warmed by this note. If my mom were still around, I absolutely would have called her and read it to her. So she's not, so you guys got to hear it. The amazing thing is to find out that Janet has been listening since the podcast started nearly 14 years ago. That blew me away. I forget that so many people are out there listening politely with their little hands folded on the desk, not making any noise, or perhaps yelling into their devices when I say something dumb, but at least I can't hear it. The other cool thing is that Janet joined our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, and now we're chatting away like old pals. You don't have to be like Janet and write me a lovely note and listen for 14 years, but if you do feel like donating one time to support the show, you can be like Janet and use the PayPal link at podfeet.com slash PayPal. Okay, let's take a listen to Security Bits, and I'm going to do something different in the show notes here. I'm going to give you two chapter markers inside Security Bits. One is the beginning of a security medium he's going to do about Android and Android security. And then there's a second security medium that's about Facebook. And then I'll have a third uh, section in the show notes for when he goes on into notable security updates. So you're going to see some extra chapter marks in this particular episode because it's a, a really long segment about uh, Android and it's it's really, really good. But I want it to be sort of encapsulated where you guys can go back to it if you want to listen to it and be able to jump to the different sections on this. So let's kick into security bits. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchot's, uh From what your show notes look like, it's a pretty quiet week. Same old, same old. Oh, yeah. No, nothing happened at all. Definitely nothing to do with Android security or Facebook security at all. <laughs> all right. We better get stuck in on this one. Yeah, although actually, strangely, it's more good news than usual. So that's something Ooh. to look forward to. Wow. Okay. Um. We're going to start with some follow-ups, though. Um, Australia's controversial anti-encryption law continues to be controversial. Um, in sort of related news, Microsoft are issued more dire warnings about tech companies fleeing the country, but there's a potential ray of sunshine in the story. Uh, the law has been referred for independent review by a body with a great big long acronym whose job it is to review laws to make sure that they adequately safeguard citizens' rights. So well, we will see what they come up with. All right. But it's, it's good to have another pair of eyes space. going over that law. L- less good news by many, 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 many miles. Um, the EU copyright directive that I have been tweeting about and emailing my members of uh, the European Parliament about and tweeting for asking other Europeans to do the same, it unfortunately passed with its... Um, Link tax and upload filter filter amendments firmly in place, although renumbered just to confuse everyone completely. <laughs> now articles fifteen and seventeen, as opposed to 
Is it 11 13 and 13? And so, one of them was 13, yeah. <clears throat> and that went to 15. I think the other one moved to 17, whatever it used to be. It's all very confusing. There's also a whole bunch of FUD doing the rounds that the only reason it passed was because some Swedish uh, MEPs clicked on the wrong button. That It's one of those, well, it's half true. There were definitely some Swedish MEPs who clicked on the wrong button because the vote was backwards. So they were voting yes to allow the proposal of amendments, not yes in favour of the law. So they were against the law, so they voted no. Oh, no. Against allowing amendments. But there weren't enough of them who did that to actually change the outcome of that vote. And even if they had changed the outcome of that vote, everyone's pretty sure that the actual vote on the amendments would have failed anyway. So it it seems pretty likely it made no difference, but it sure as hell made headlines over here in Europe. Yeah. I mean, is that going to have immediate effect on sites that do a lot of commentary about articles that have been written? I think of a lot of the publications that... that uh, I see online are often, oh, here's what this other group found out, and now let me talk all about what they said, but not doing it. I don't know. Journalism. I don't know when it comes into effect, but it's almost certainly not immediately. Okay. No, nothing in Europe is immediate ever. <laughs> Just look at Brexit. <laughs> try, How many try years to get a that check vote? after dinner, right? Same thing. Yeah. So I don't know the date, but it's not now. Uh, in fact, it's going to be a lot more complicated because GDPR was a regulation. This is a directive. And they may sound like synonyms, but they're absolutely not synonyms. Hmm. So a directive is an order to the member states of the EU to write and pass laws in their country to achieve a certain goal. So what this means is that European countries have now have a certain amount of years to write their own law, which achieves the stated aim of this directive in a way that makes sense in their national laws. Okay. Whereas GDPR was a regulation, which meant it just straightforward applied. It was like, there is no tweaking it. There is no, you have to do this in your own corpus of law. No, 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 the GDPR just applies. Whereas this is a directive, which is much more normal way the EU does its business. Right. So it'll be slow. All right. Yeah, interesting to see how it goes. (laughs) And that's the small story. They're the follow-ups. So... Our first big story is, um, I'm calling it Android security at age 10. Um, So this week, Google released their fifth annual Android security review on their 10th birthday. That in itself is actually quite telling because the real story here is one of massive evolution. Security was not a high priority for Google at the start. And the fact that it took them five years to start doing annual reports shows you something changed between zero and 10. Right. Um, it's, it's interesting. So I, the first thing I want to say before I go in any deeper is that Google have made up their own new acronym I had never come across before, but the report is absolutely chock-a-block full of PHAs. Uh which stands for Potentially Harmful App, Hmm. or as you, I, and everyone else would call it, malware. Okay. Or crapware. It's a broad term. So anything dodgy is a PHA. Okay. Um, I'm just going to use the word malware. It's just easier. The other thing to say is I actually recommend people read the report themselves because certainly our audience can read this. I'm I'm not saying, you know, that... 
you know, your average non-techie friend will get much out of it. But anyone listening to this show or this segment of your show is, is likely to get something out of it because the language is completely at our vocabulary level. It's, it's also only 30 pages, including like the acknowledgements at the back and empty, completely empty page of the back <laughs> cover and, you know, a, a cover page, content page, you know, all the fluff. So it's actually really quite readable. And there's an awful lot of pictures, well, not pictures, graphs. Um, and they're actually a nice way. They also very kindly do a lot of pull quotes, a bit like newspapers, these giant big quotes that are blown up nice and big. So, so you can remember what's important. Well, I was going to say you can, even if all you do is scroll and scan for three minutes, you'll still get something out of it. But it's it's worth putting a bit more time into than that, to be honest. So what did you learn from it? Okay, so um, I think the way we need to look at this report is we need to look at how Google are handling the three big problems with their ecosystem. So the three big challenges, let's call them. Uh, Problems isn't fair. Let's call them challenges. Um, So the first of these is just your basic OS-level controls. So just like Apple with iOS, Google, with every new iteration of Android, every new confection that comes around they are continuing to lock things down. So, you know, the early versions of iOS, you didn't need permission to access the contacts and then apps abused contacts. So now you need to give permission to access the contacts. You you know, one of the things that was just highlighted in the uh, stuff for the upcoming Android Q is it going to have much better controls over privacy. So that problem of locking the OS down is something that Google are continuing to work at. And in some areas they're ahead of Apple and in some areas they're behind Apple. But their progress is 100% in the right direction. Okay. Um, And they take a section in the report to highlight changes they made in 2018. So they're not talking about what they're going to do next year. They're talking about what they have done with Pi as opposed to what they will do with Quince or Quiche or whatever we're calling the next one. Uh, So, you know, it's good. Basically, of course, they highlighted that. Why wouldn't they? Um, the second important area that they that I sort of picked out as being worthy of discussion is that they are Google are working extremely hard to fight what I would consider to be their absolute biggest Achilles heel, the existence of middlemen, or rather the middlemen's ability to really delay security updates. Okay, and so you're talking about the they, ISPs in this case? Not just the ISPs, the vendor, the manufacturers too. Right, there's two middlemen between potentially, depending on the model of phone you buy and the network you get it on. There's potentially oh, okay. up to two middlemen: the 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 hardware vendor and the Samsung. network. Although, I get the impression that the network vendors don't seem to be getting themselves involved as much anymore. Hmm. You don't hear about AT and T holding up Google updates. You hear about you know manufacturers holding up the updates. So maybe the vendors have finally stepped back and realized that selling you sole service and being software engineers have nothing to do with each other. Hmm. I, I, hope. I haven't heard it either anyway. way, but yeah, it makes sense. So I think we're down to one middleman, which is the hardware vendors. And they kind of have to be involved because who can do drivers for their hardware other than them? So they're kind of hard to get rid of. Apple, get rid of them by being them, right? So yeah. Apple yeah, simply but, have... But they've got motivations that are, you know, you look for follow the money, right? Where their motivation mm-hmm. is to get you to buy another phone. Yes. So why, yes, why I mean yes, which is why update. Google have this battle, right? right? Because they're not as well, particularly the bargain basement, razor thin margin end of the Android market. 
there's every incentive to do as little as possible because your margins are already razor thin and you're in a race to the bottom. So you don't really feel well incentivized to put extra effort into anything. So you're going to do as little as you can get away with. And Google are trying to make as little as you can get away with be sufficient. Yeah, It's a difficult battle. And so basically in this case, Google, by their choices... And it swings in roundabouts because by letting the manufacturers have so much freedom, it's, I mean, why is Google so popular? It's because it's easy to make a Google phone. Right, right. And you know, why it did it beat Windows? Because it was easier. Yeah. I mean, they were never going to, Apple was always going to be different, but Windows phone could have beaten Android. But by being extremely nice to the hardware vendors, Android completely trashed Windows. So you could argue, you know, it was a good strategy back then, but it came with a really big price, which is that they now have this perverse incentive working against their attempts to secure people. So the simple fact is Android has a bigger hill to climb. But what I'm happy to say is that they are clearly making progress climbing that hill and they're continuing to do very clever things. We've talked about it on the show before, but what they're doing, everyone wants the Android Play Store, sorry, the Google Play Store. So they're actually starting to bundle more and more of the OS into the Play Store app so that when they push out updates to the Play Store, which they can do directly without being intermediated, they're actually getting a whole bunch of security updates onto phones through the Play Store. Oh, and they've re-architected... Oh, oh yeah, it's genius. Yeah. And they've re-architected their OS so that the bits that the vendors have to do are programmatically much less intertwined with the bits Google have to do. So the amount of work it takes for a vendor to apply Google's monthly updates has gotten way less because they've re-architected Google. So that's all under the hood stuff that your average Google user doesn't see, except for the fact that way more of your average Google users now get updates. But aren't there a lot so, of people using... Well, let me step back a second. My understanding mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of people using iOS who never, ever go into the App Store and buy any new apps and put them on their phones. Isn't that also true in the Android world? How would they be getting security updates if they're not going out and getting new apps? I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying Google are are getting traction through these kind of techniques. The the biggest thing that's getting them traction is the fact that they have re-architected Android, so it's easier for the Samsungs of this world to bundle Google's changes in. That that makes the biggest difference of all. Okay, that just pulls the resistance comes right down. If it's if it's easier for for a vendor to do the right thing, then more of them will do it more quickly. That that's just you know that, that. it's just really good, you know, it's, it was a clever hardware redesign by Google to, to sort of create this really, really clear separation between this is your problem and this is our problem. <laughs> and the other big change over the years has been the very existence of the concept of a monthly update. That, that just wasn't there before. Now you have these monthly updates. And every time a contract comes up for renewal, Google keep on sneaking in extra terms and conditions to basically force the hand of the hardware vendors. And by attrition and over time, the leash is getting shorter and shorter. Mm. Now, there's people complaining, oh, but it's not as open as it used to be. Yes, but it's also not a cesspool. (laughs) So all in all, anyway, having put all that in place, I just picked three quotes that are relevant to this from the report. So these are like my, my picks of the picks of the quotes. So as of December 2018, Over 95% of deployed Google Pixel 3 and Pixel 3 XL devices were running a security update from the last 90 days. Hmm. So So that's people who bought phones directly from Google. Yes. Okay. 
are getting pretty well patched. That's yeah, good. I, I should be excited it means that, for them, but that sounds like because they did those are essentially the Apple model, right? Google makes the phones, yes. Google pushes out the updates, the updates end up in the hands of the people. Yeah, it's basically me too, but the thing is, if I were to be forced to use Google, I'm delighted I can just pick the Apple model right. on Android. Oh yeah, I, sh- I shouldn't discount it like that's a bad thing. No, that's a, that's a terrific thing, but it, 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 I, I still hope there's a way yes. they can get to that. There's more, right? The this is one of three. Okay. I have two more quotes. Okay. So that Okay, so that's a very niche case, as you clearly articulated. So the next quote is less niche. In the fourth quarter of 2018, we had 84% more devices receiving a security update than in the same quarter the prior year. So progress is very clearly being made. Okay, but that's one of those fun with numbers. 84% more of, than seven. Okay, well, the, there are actually numbers. Um, there's a graph of them. I didn't copy and paste all the okay. numbers because they're in a graph. So let me see if I can find that. Yeah, so the next quote then is sort of what I would expect. Newer versions of Android are less affected by potentially harmful apps than older versions. Actually, it's not quite the same thing, but I guess that underlines the need for getting these updates. So, yeah, actually, I don't have the number to hand of exactly what percentage it, it of devices be, are getting updated. It might be amazing, right? It might be a great number, but 84% than a year ago. Yeah, so I'm interested in the trend. That's sort of the, the, yeah. the narrative I found in this entire report was that basically you could sum this whole up with a lot done more to do. Okay. And this highlights that. And I think actually the fact that I didn't find a matching quote with an actual number probably means it's not in there because I'm sure if it had been in there, I would have pulled it out as a quote. Okay. I think. If someone, if I'm wrong, please someone go into the Nasilla Castaway Slack. It's a wonderful place. You'll find this show posted in there. Pop in a comment and we'll all love you for doing it. <laughs> So just to underline the importance of these security updates. Well, hang on. I, I do right. want to give its due to the third quote that you read, that you're saying newer versions are less affected by malware, by PHAs. Right. And that's Yeah, that's this is what fantastic. I'm trying to explain now. Yes. So th- this underlines completely why we need these updates. So on Pi, which is the newest Android, of all of the phones out there that are running the Google Play uh, Google Play Protect, which is basically the features they built into their Google Play app to effectively, they've turned their Google Play Store into an AV product, right? Which is Google Play Protect. Very clever. Mm. Anyway, of the devices with Google Play, Google Play Protect installed that are on Pi, 0.18% of those devices have at least one potentially harmful app installed. Compare and contrast to Lollipop, 0.65, basically five to, you know, four to five times as many. Hmm. So updating really helps. And the other thing to note is the graph is not level. If you go Lollipop to Marshmallow to Nougat to Oreo to Pi, Oreo and Pi are almost the same. And Lollipop and Marshmallow are almost the same. So Google really, with Nougat, they halved it. And then they continue to make progress in Oreo and Pi. So, so, yeah, that's really interesting. It sounds like in the game of whack-a-mole, they're actually winning. 
right? Yes, exactly. Now, it also looks like the right. graph is flattening. So it may be asymptotically approaching zero. And of course, you you never get to zero. Sure. You're, this, this is never going to zero. But it does seem to be flattening off. So on the one hand, you could argue they've made exponential progress. On the other hand, you can argue, yes, but their progress is slowing down. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to look at the half full on this. They've really made good progress since Lollipop. So I, I, I think that's good. Um, it's it's still not true that all of your Android devices are going to get updated promptly for at least three years. But what is true today is that if you care about security, you can, with a little bit of homework, choose a phone that will receive prompt security updates for whatever amount of years you expect your phone to last. So if you're if you're a change your phone every two years person, then you're only interested in companies promising two years of support. If you want your phone a bit longer, you may have to do a bit more homework. But if you choose carefully, you can absolutely get a Google phone that will receive updates promptly and for as long as you need them, basically. Oh, good. Which is progress. So the third area then is the whole area of what Google called PHAs and the related aspect of the Google Play Store. They're not entirely the same. Like the Android platform is... The Google Play Store is a subset of Android's platform because there are not everyone uses the Play Store and not everyone who uses the Play Store exclusively uses the Play Store. But what's very interesting from the report is that while the Play Store may not be perfect, people who confine themselves to only downloading apps from the Play Store are dramatically less likely to have a PHA or a malware than people who stray outside of the Play Store. Dramatically. Like, basically, an order of magnitude. Okay. Well, that's good. So, so the easy advice to give any of your friends and family who have Android devices is stay within the store. It doesn't mean they're guaranteed to be safe, but it definitely makes them massively safer. So it's good advice. So it's like they've got a partially so, walled garden, but there's a big wide open gate, but... Just don't go out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they're they're doing their best to protect the gate without putting one there. <laughs> they're, they're, it's a bit like Theresa May trying to get a border in Ireland without there being a border. Google are trying to make a border without there being a border. Um, and they're not, I mean, they are definitely succeeding, but they're never going to get to zero. But they're definitely doing better than I had realized. So according to Google's numbers for 2018, so we're not counting how many individual downloads have malware. What we're interested in, what this part of Google's report focused on was a much more interesting statistic to me. What percentage of phones have at least one piece of malware on them? Oh, they know the answer to that? Yes, we do. Okay, only of the phones that have Google Play Protect, which is, I think, pretty much every mainstream Android phone, but none of the forks, right? This doesn't include... Android is not from Google, it's forked. Okay. Of the stuff with Google Play Protect, one in 200 devices have malware on them at any one moment in 2018. Hmm. Now, one in 200 isn't actually that bad. That means in a giant big lecture theater, in the biggest lecture theater that we have in the university, there'll be two people. So, so, you know, okay, I'd prefer it to be 
one or really? nil, but okay. I, I sent you a statistic, and I can't remember what it was uh, right now, about about Google, and it was one in a thousand, and you said that's way too yes. high. And now you're saying one in 200 is okay. No, I'm saying I'm really surprised. That it's so high? I, also, the, what you didn't pull me up on, because uh, you were busy hiking and doing cool stuff, I had a zero out of place. I was out by a factor of 10 in my initial thinking because I can't do math. You know, I thought you were, but I was out playing and thinking, and I tried to do the math going, isn't he off by a factor of 10 on that? <laughs> okay, good. I was off by a factor of 10. So like I say, that was like what what I gave you was so not for consumption by the public. That was just a literally, how does this strike you? Yeah. You know, with 10 seconds of looking at it. So I, I spent a lot of time with this report. It has a very pleasing shade of green all over it. Um... So, you know, my, my views evolved with data, which okay. is exactly how the world should work. Yeah. So, so wait a minute, though. But one in anyway, 200 Android devices having right. malware sounds good to you? That sounds high. Right. No, no. But there's a context to come here. Okay. Right. So that is of all devices in total. But though that average is not evenly spread. Ah. Right. If you take it to people who only use the App Store... It goes down by a factor of eight. Hmm. Okay. Or rather, if you keep yourself in the app store, you are eight times less likely to have malware than if you stray. Right. Okay. So the the app store is safer by an order of magnitude. So basically, people who stay exclusively in the app store, the infection rate is less than one in a thousand. Do we have any idea what percentage of Android phones have wandered out of the uh, off the reservation? Uh, I did not look for that. I don't know. Yeah, that would that would be interesting. I mean, maybe it's one out of a thousand people does that. I can't picture most people doing that. Can you? No, it's it's actually it, it, these are global statistics, and in not America, that's actually extremely common. Really, and the infection rates, yes. And it's reflected in the graph of infection rate by country, because mm. the infection rate by country also varies quite dramatically. Um, why, why would you so think, what, what motivates people to go off the reservation and go outside of the place? Uh, piracy. Uh, Be, and I'm afraid to say <laughs> less well-off parts of the world have a much higher rate of these alternative app stores where you may or may not be handing over any money. Mm. Uh, and then there's also, um, you even have high-profile games, like, was it, was it Epic or who was it recently went off the reservation that we had a great big two right, special right. episodes about? I think it was Epic. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 there are legitimate reasons to leave, particularly if you're the kind of nerdy, open-sourcey kind of person. You're going to want to be playing around with all sorts of cool stuff. So basically, it's yeah. extreme nerds and pirates. Yeah, I I was trying not to go down the nerd path because I think we get into our own little bubble thinking that's that's the world. Well, there is actually, sorry, there is a third category, victims of social engineering. Yeah. Pe- people who received some sort of email or some sort of something which encouraged them to click some buttons and click OK to some things, they probably should have read more carefully, but they didn't because they were in a hurry or they were promised a free picture of some famous celebrity who's, I mean, I don't know, celebrities 
wearing no clothes. Whatever, it used sure. to be Anna Kornikova was in right. all the email getting people to click on malware. I wonder whether... Whatever the current... Of, part of it also is that in some countries, um, copyright isn't really a thing. You know, it isn't yes. considered bad form to to uh, steal content. And so... It's societally it 100% normal. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so then you basically have kids just telling each other, yeah, just do this. Right. And... You know, places like LimeWire and so forth have been absolute cesspools of malware in the PC world, and I can't imagine the, their equivalents on Android are any less cesspooly. Yeah. So yeah, there are there are reasons, but it's notable that places like the US and Europe you have less of it than in places like India and Brazil. Huh. Okay. India, in fact, I, going by memory here, I think India had the highest rate of infections. I would be curious um, how prevalent the um, Google Play Protect Store is for for phones, because you're saying it's those that have that, but they have to have been updated recently to get that, right? Well, obviously not that recently. If I, I mean, I think Google backported this because they have statistics mentioning you know three four versions of, of Android back. Okay. So they must have it at least those four versions of Android. So they must have it Lollipop, Marshmallow, Nougat, Oreo, Oreo and Pi, like okay. LMNOP. So Pi is today, 2017 is Oreo, 2016 is Nougat, 2015. Well, they may not have been once a year now that I think about it. I th- because we haven't had 20, we haven't had how, 10, well, P is further than 10, right? Oh, now we're doing letter math. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. Yeah, if they were every year, we'd only be on J. I would like everybody to know that Bart was just counting on his fingers. Am I right? Yes. (laughs) How else are you supposed to count to 10? (laughs) No, but counting letters, you have to count on your fingers. Oh, yeah. No, I can't keep two things in my head at the same time. There's only room for one. I'm male. I could could see it. I could tell you were doing it. (laughs) Yeah, by the the cadence. Yeah. Finger, finger, finger. (laughs) Anyway, I, I, the answer is I don't know. So it might actually be fun for a chit chat across the pond sometime soon if some sort of Android expert were to volunteer to talk to you. Because I'd love to listen. Yeah. You hear that, Nasilla Castaways? We haven't had anybody talk <laughs> pure Android in a long time. Yeah, and I, I want to hear. I, I mean, I'm doing my best as an Android, as someone who reads about Android but doesn't actually use it. Um, so to some extent, you, you know, you're getting, you, you're getting lessons in parenting from a Catholic priest here, <laughs> but I have read about it. I like what I read anyway. Um, so what it seems to me is that Google's idea of bundling what is effectively AV into their app store appears to actually be getting real traction. So I've, I've picked out four pull quotes here that I think are worthy of drawing attention to. So in 2018, 0.45% of all devices, of all Android devices running PlayProtect had installed PHAs compared to 0.56 in 2017. So last year, it was basically a fifth higher. Hmm. In 2018, only 0.08% of devices that used Google Play exclusively were affected by PHA. So this isn't a measure of how many apps do or don't aren't malicious that make it into the store or how many downloads are or aren't malicious. This is a measure of how many devices have at least one piece of malware. And the answer is if you stick exclusively to the store, 0.08%. 
That's small. In contrast, devices that installed apps from outside the Play Store were affected by PHAs eight times more often compared to the previous year. Even those devices saw a 15% reduction. Wow. Wow. So even if you stray outside the reservation, because it's effectively AV that they're bundling in, mm-hmm. they're actually still protecting you when you get it. When you know it comes into your phone from elsewhere, but of course Google Play Protect is running on your phone, so like Norton or whatever else, it can still step in and protect you, which is clever. Uh, okay, so in 2018, 0.04, 0.04% of all downloads were PHAs. In other words, every time someone hits download, you have a 0.04% chance of getting malware. Now, this is a number which, when taken without reading the English of the report, looks like things have gone horribly wrong. In 2017, the number was 0.02. So things have gotten twice as bad? Hmm. No. The increase is due to a change in methodology of upgrading the severity level of click fraud applications from privacy violations to PHAs. If we omit the addition of click fraud... violations is in your quote. Yes. You said said privacy, I think. So they've upgraded the severity level of click fraud applications from policy violations to now calling them PHAs. Oh, sorry. I didn't just say it wrong. I read it wrong. I thought they actually said privacy. No, you're right. It says policy. Apologies. No, but that's the important thing is from policy violations, those things are now being categorized as PHAs. Which they should be. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if we omit the addition of click fraud for a comparison, 2018 is at 0.17%. Wow. So last year it was 0.02. Now it's 0.017. Right. So basically, it's, it's gone down. Yeah. Okay. By, I mean, it's a very small change, to be honest. Yeah. But nonetheless, it is in the right direction. So while it looks like it got twice as bad, it actually got a little bit better. Yeah. But these are kind of small numbers. So, you know, <laughs> right. 10 times more than I thought they were at first. Uh, the other interesting point then, of course, is so you have this AV running all the time. So how often does the AV reach in and do its thing? The answer is 1.6 billion PHA insulation attempts from outside the Play Store were blocked oh in 2018. gosh. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so this effectively free AV from Google is clearly worth the effort Google have put into developing it. Wow. 1.6 billion times it has held up its hand and said, they shall not pass. Okay, that's impressive. That is, that is Isn't it? crazy. Okay. Now, the other thing I just want to pull, so as Google continued to tighten their store, malware developers were obviously being squeezed out, right? It used to be easier to get your malware into the Play Store because the other big advantage to Google Play Protect is it's constantly gathering real-world data, which means that the automated scanning protecting the Play Store. So basically, Apple's store is protected by a combination of humans and computers, whereas Google's Play Store is protected by computers only and then humans to intervene when something goes horribly wrong. So they're reactive rather than proactive. But they get away with it because by having this anti-malware software on so many devices, they can train their preventative filters very well, which is why when stuff gets in, it doesn't get in long enough to infect more than 0.04% of downloads. Ah. So it's kind of interesting. But as they squeeze developers out of the Play Store by catching them more quickly... 
they obviously go elsewhere. So another another point I noticed was how they described the threat landscape. So in 2018, there were two notable changes to the Android threat landscape. An increase in pre-installed PHAs and in backdoored SDKs. So the pre-installed, basically, they're compromising the supply chain of the really cheap devices because they're trying to be razor thin margins so they're they have less protection of their supply chain in place because they're cutting corners therefore that's now a weak underbelly or a soft underbelly Hmm. therefore that's being attacked and of course the other great way to get your malware around is to trick innocent developers into injecting malware unknowingly into their completely legitimate apps you don't have to put any effort into appearing legitimate if you can sneak your malware into actually legitimate apps so backdooring sdks is a very clever approach and unfortunately one that is being tried with annoyingly a large amount of success but google are doing things like proactively contacting developers when they recognize the pattern so basically they discover a backdoored sdk then they scan the play store proactively looking for other copies of the same sdk and then they reach out to the developers proactively to say please resubmit your app with you know update blah sdk to version blah where it removes blah malware so it's wow you know they're doing good things there yeah so, okay yeah. interesting so I think really the bottom line for me is that Google, despite having given themselves a bigger mountain to climb by their choices, they're climbing it very well. It is it is still true to say that iOS is easier to be safe on, right? The the advice for your Mac use for your sorry, for your iOS friends remains by far the simplest. I'm thinking of buying an iPhone. What do I do? Buy any iPhone you like, and whenever the little red one comes up, click go or turn on automatic updates. You're done. Like it is still easier to be secure in iOS, and arguably iOS, the, particularly the App Store with its proactive instead of reactive model, is better. But Android is not bad. And given the difference in their architecture, I am genuinely impressed at the progress Google are making. And I didn't think I'd find myself saying that. I was, I, I was quite, I had, well, I was grumpy for other reasons. I had, <laughs> the, the, the tech was, tech was being uncooperative. Uh, so I was in a mildly cranky mood when I started reading. So I was expecting to be a pernickety little curmudgeon. <laughs> and you were disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, or really excited either way. But, you know, look, I like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of saying nice things about Google, but I do it when I think they deserve it. And I think they're making really good progress here. And the stuff we know about what's coming up in Q is also good progress. So, you know, I think they're doing a really good job. And so it's now a case of saying, if someone asks my advice, you know, should I buy an Android phone? I would say yes, but stick to the vendors who promise updates. So... As much as it pains me to say, buy a phone straight from Google or buy a Samsung. Wow. Well, mm. but that's that's good. It it would it is good. No, it really is good because it was terrible that basically the choice was buy an iPhone or be insecure. I'm so happy that's not true. Yeah. That that's good. Now, what I will say, right, nothing I have talked about today is about privacy. Right. This is not about Google's business model, about how much information Android collects on you, how much information is they pad your Google profile out with. That's a whole that other is discussion. their business model. 
It's a whole other discussion that has nothing to do with the security posture. That is basically you making a choice that you are happy to save yourself dollars, euros, renminbi, whatever your currency is, in exchange for privacy. Yeah, exactly. Or um, quat lose, as Ken Ray would say. Um, I think one of the it's a different conversation. So I don't, I don't want anyone to construe today's conversation with me saying Google don't steal your privacy anymore. Okay. Arguably, they don't steal it; they barter for it, <laughs> and that hasn't changed. This is about security, not privacy. Right. I, you know what I really love about this part, uh, besides the fact that you were able to explain it to us so well, is that Google is a company of super nerdy engineers who love data. And so yes. they published all this great data with all these facts and figures. That's 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 awesome. I like it. Yes. But they've also run it by someone who knows how to turn data into information. Yeah. Made it human readable. Yeah, that's a skill. Made it human readable, which is a different skill, which is often missing in the very same nerdy people. So yeah. I think Google <laughs> employ both. I think they beat that out of us in engineering school. All right. Well, good. This a good engineering fun. school. Yeah. Okay, so that's our first security medium, and I thought that would be enough to keep us going. But no, Mark Zuckerberg picked up his keyboard again. Uh-oh. So, so no, not uh-oh, actually. Oh, good. Um, now, I am going to... I don't care what his motivations are. I'm going to say that up front. I'm not interested in why he's come to this coming to Jesus moment. Don't give him monkeys. I'm going to tell you what he said, and I'm going to just cut to the chase. No point bearing the lead. I agree with him. I have no doubt he's doing it for, you know, impure motives. I don't give a monkeys. Okay. So just get that out of the way. So Mark Zuckerberg wrote a new post called Four Ideas to Regulate the Internet. It was actually published as a Washington Post op-ed, but there was a paywall in the way. So I actually thought I wasn't going to get to read it. But thankfully, uh, Facebook's PR department reproduced the entire article on newsroom.facebook.com, sorry, newsroom.fb.com. So there's actually a link to the full paywall-free version on Facebook's own servers. And again, open to the public like Zuckerberg's last missive. So what he's calling for is for governments around the world to deal with four big problems on the internet through regulation. And the four that he's called out are harmful content, election integrity, privacy, and data portability. So, I mean, his sort of main point is that he shouldn't be deciding what is and isn't okay. Some third party that's not in it for the money should be doing that, and everyone should then be playing by those rules. That's not a dumb idea, Hmm. really. Right? Have someone else set the rules and then we can then fight Facebook when they fail to follow their obligations. But expecting Facebook to make the rules is probably not appropriate because then you're into censorship arguments. You're means you're going, but Facebook are censoring people. Yeah, but you want them to, but now you're cranky they are. Just take it away from them. That's not... Mark Zuckerberg should not be deciding what is and isn't safe. People who know what they're talking about should be deciding that. So... It's also very interesting how how much this aligns with um, something that Ma- Microsoft's president, Brad Smith, said back last summer. And we actually drew attention to it at the time because he used an interesting phrase, a floor of regulation, is how, is how uh, Brian's, Brad Smith put it. 
basically saying we stop the race to the bottom by placing a floor of regulation. You know, basically, here is the line thou shalt not pass. Now, in his case, he was talking exclusively about facial recognition to stop that becoming a cesspool, because now is the time to act before it's everywhere. Uh, but the same logic is basically what's been deployed here by by Mark Zuckerberg, hmm. or it certainly struck me as extremely similar. Interesting. Uh, he also, of course, used to, he didn't just say regulate these four things, have a nice day. <laughs> he did also draw attention to the fact that Facebook have already been taking these four things seriously. And sort of to, to double underline the point, just this week, uh, Facebook actually made some changes on the electri- election integrity point. Oh, really? So there is now a searchable database of all political ads. So you can go in and see every political ad that was bought and what it said, which is exactly what we were calling for, you know, early on when the whole election thing was still fresh in our minds. It, uh, so I that to is on one thing. So harmful yeah. content, election integrity, privacy, and data portability. Where does stop losing all of our data live? In that list. I think that's privacy. Okay. Just checking. Certainly, that's where I'd put it. Yeah, yeah, we'll come to that. Um, they also actually, in somewhat related news, it's not, it doesn't quite fit into these four categories perfectly, but it's nonetheless a sign that Facebook are actually serious. Like, you know, it's easy to say we're sorry and we'll try to do better. And what everyone's been saying is, okay, show us. Well, Facebook are starting to do some showing here. So something else that broke since last we spoke is that Facebook have added some new features to make it easier for white hat security researchers to study their platform. Basically, they've made it so that people engaging in security research can disable some protections so that they actually get, they can poke and prod better. So they should have an easier time finding vulnerabilities. All right. So that's progress. Yeah. Um, But, 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 this week's news also, so basically, all the stories that had been sitting with Facebook in them, uh, just in the regular suggested reading, I went through them all again to see how they relate to, so I could group them into this security (laughs) medium. Okay. And so we've had the good news, right? Where the the, the whole making it easier for white hat researchers and the searchable database of political ads, that's good. Unfortunately, the week's news wasn't only full of good. So while there's clearly progress in the right direction, um, it's by no means, the ship has not turned around. So the first thing that was really bad is that reports are the surface of a new practice that Facebook had instigated on some new accounts for criteria we never did quite figure out. So basically, some reason they thought some accounts looked a bit suspicious. And their way of dealing with it was horrific. They popped up a thing saying, give us the password that matches the email address you just signed up with so we can verify you really do own that email account. So this is as Enter your email a pa- new account? Yes. Okay. If someone's creating a new Facebook account, Facebook says, please give me your email password, which I keep describing as the crown jewels wait, 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 of your wait, online wait, wait. existence. The password to your email? Yes. Oh my gosh, I thought you meant the password that matched with this email address that you put into mm-hmm. Facebook. No, you mean their email password. No, no, password. no, no, no. Are you, your ju- email are password. you kidding me? I wish I were. Oh, jeez. 
To say this caused a bit of a, an internet bleep storm is putting it mildly. And Facebook soon saw the light and did a 180 pretty darn quickly. But the fact that that got as far as being pushed out as a live feature tells you the culture still has a wee oh. bit of evolving to do inside that company. That makes that got by call. managers. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I hope that was a learning experience for all involved. How long was that the case? Do you know? I mean, uh, a few days. Okay. All right. Uh, it basically... It was in one day's RSS feed that they were doing it, and I was going, oh, my God. And the next day's RSS feed were, and Facebook have stopped doing it. So it's like, okay, good. Well, I, I am glad to hear that, because lately it's been, and it's been since 2012. <laughs> All these end with, right? Yeah, no, this is a new practice. So basically, it's, I mean, doing a better job of validating accounts is important, particularly for stuff like election integrity. But that's not the way to do it. So, okay, your aim here was good. You were trying to do a good thing. Your methodology was horrific and wrong. So, okay, good. You yeah. turn. The other thing that Facebook got in a lot of heat about this week is basically continued fallout from years of bad practice. So Facebook changed how they share data with third parties at this stage years ago. But it's very hard to put the genie back in the bottle. And so this week, there were a whole bunch of new data breaches discovered full of Facebook data. But this isn't stuff that Facebook leaked out last week. This is stuff that Facebook gave to third parties in the days when they were just a free-for-all now coming to light. So basically, it's their past bad behavior coming back to give them a big slap on their current PR face. So a bunch of security researchers found a bunch of unprotected databases containing a bunch of Facebook information from what were third-party apps on Facebook, some of which are now defunct. And so it's being reported everywhere as Facebook leaks data. But no, it wasn't Facebook who leaked data. It was Facebook who just freely gave it to third-party <laughs> developers who were then careless with it. But they've changed their policy, so it's their old policies biting them on the backside. Anyway, bottom line, I think Mark Zuckerberg is correct in what he's asking for. I also think it's probably true that the opinion piece linked in The Guardian outlining exactly why it's in Facebook's financial interest to to get away from being the people making these decisions is true too. But I don't care. I don't care what his motivations are. It's the right thing to do. So please, let's go that way. You now have Tim Cook, Microsoft, and Facebook calling for this. Go with it. I just so anyway. hope he's... It, it, if he hasn't built the culture to support these things, I don't necessarily believe that he'll get to where those things are actually actually done, you know? Yes, but it takes time to build a culture, so I'm not panicking yet. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But, you know, if a year from now nothing has really changed, I'll be panicking. Okay. Uh, you know, another four loop, another iteration around the loop of the apology machine. <laughs> right. Anyway, notable security updates, a whole bunch of stuff. God, goodness me, we, they, they, we talk about some serious security mediums here, but they were, I think they were worthy of diving in too deeply. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll speed that was our way really up. interesting. So Apple have patched pretty much everything. I think that's just the easiest way to say iOS 12.2, Mac OS 10.14.4, and security update 19.002 for Sierra and Hi Sierra. Watch OS 5.2, TVOS 12.2, Safari 12.1, uh, 
Um, actually, the Safari 12.1 is where they're spending a tiny bit more focus up? on. You went through those real quickly. Uh, Mac OS 10.14.4 was uh, kind of a, a big mess for people using G Suite. Um, did you know about that? Yes. So I did, but actually it was a Google problem that Google fixed. So we don't actually know for sure. What we do know, uh, to set the, the, what happened, um, if you have a G Suite account, which is a, it used to be called Google Apps for Business. A lot of companies run their email through, uh, through this G Suite thing. I'm one of them. I do the Podfeed email through those. And, mm-hmm. uh, as of 10.14.14, your mail didn't work. And on 10.14.3, uh, it did work and you could roll back and have it start working. So you can't completely say that Google, um, it was Google's fault. Oh, Apple's. Okay. Well, based on the reading by people the, who dug into I, the nerdery very I, deeply, they are saying that. Can I finish? So. Oh, sorry. I thought you were. No, I wasn't even close to dead. So in, in Tata 14.4, it worked and Tata 14.3, uh, sorry, 10.14.4, it didn't work. 10.14.3, it did work. In, it is a fact, or it is quite possible that Google changed something on their end that caused it to work in 10.14.4, but it didn't, it wasn't broken in 10.14.4. So you've got to know that some part of what Apple did, maybe it revealed a bug in the way Google was doing the authentication, but it absolutely positively called caused a lot of people to not be able to get into their email. So you've got to put some onus on Apple. You can't just throw that all throw Google under the bus on this one. Okay, from a purely technological level, the technical analysis I've seen says it was a problem on Google's end that Google fixed, and Apple didn't change anything. That doesn't so mean 10.14 what I said wasn't is now true. working. That that doesn't say. I, okay, I didn't do the techie research. I didn't put it in my show notes at all because I wasn't comfortable talking about it. I can only tell you what I read. What I read was pretty clear. I okay. It, I didn't have it in my notes. I, sorry, I dug into it a lot too, and and I, everything I'm saying I know to be a fact. We were absolutely affected. Steve spent a tremendous amount of time working with Apple engineers on it. Um, it is a fact that it was. You could, as of the date that that it was broken on ten fourteen four. You could roll back to 10.14.3 and have it work. You could get to gmail.com and it would work. You could use Spark Mail and it would work. So throwing Google under the bus, that doesn't make any sense with those absolute facts. But it's also an absolute fact that 10.14.4 hasn't changed and it's now working perfectly. Yes, but that doesn't mean that Apple didn't do something in 10.14.4 that revealed something that was wrong on Google. Which is, I think that's what the technical analysis is pointing to that I've read is that. It's so explain, explain how it worked on SparkMail. Why did that work? Why did it work at gmail.com? I, I think there's something y- on both Using sides. an older API, using, using a different cipher suite or something. I, so, so I think, <laughs> again, I don't I, think you can put this all on Google's plate. I think Apple was, did something in this that, that maybe revealed the problem, but it is not all Google. Mm. I'm neither going to agree nor disagree. I I can't know. No, I didn't put it in my notes because I wasn't comfortable talking about it. Okay, I I know absolutely what I'm saying is true. So anyway, let's go on. Yeah, I'm not disputing the facts at all. Just the inference. I'm not comfortable making one way or the other. I'm just not comfortable having an opinion about the stuff we don't know as fact. Move on. 
Yes. Safari 12.1 makes a change you may notice. They're following Google, ironically. Um, So, do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about the fact that Google was switching from the old model, which is where you would proactively mark a website as being secure, and if a website wasn't secure, you'd say nothing. Because for most of the internet's history, security was the exception and insecurity was the norm. Mm -hmm. But now more than half the websites are secure. So Google were the first to switch to proactively marking something as not secure when it was HTTP. Apple are now doing the same. So in the newest version of Safari... If your website is secure, you get the little padlock and not much more. But if your website is not secure, you actually get a, a call out to say that it's not secure. It's it's labeled as insecure. I ran into this um, the other day. Uh, actually, this was pretty funny. Geeko Supremo, Caleb Fong, was chatting with me mm-hmm. in our Slack group for Programming by Stealth. And he was suggesting a piece of software that might help me with something I was trying to accomplish. And I went out and I downloaded it. Oh, I, I went to the website first and it said not secure. And I thought, hmm, that's a little hey. interesting. And then, but they had a Mac App Store version. So I went to the Mac App Store and I downloaded it. Before, but before I started running it, I started reading the comments and it was all these comments saying, this one's dead. This one's dead. Abandon where don't use this hasn't been fixed. All this. Eep. So I went back over to the insecure website and this person still had a buy it directly from me button that was on the not secure page. Oh, dear. Needless to say, I did not pursue this one further. And uh, Caleb found me another tool. Yeah. So that was cool. Oh, good. Um, the other thing to note, Windows people have to update too. There are updates for iTunes and iCloud for Windows. And we should say that these updates do fix the Keysteel vulnerability that made news in February when the guy who discovered it refused to tell Apple for a few weeks because oh. they don't have a bug bounty program for the Mac. Oh, that's interesting. So that actually was real. We know that for a fact from Apple told us that? Yes, and that has been patched. Because Apple had never acknowledged that vulnerability. Well, I, I don't know if that's true because he did then change his mind and tell them about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I did. So the first time it made news was because he was basically he put up a video and wouldn't tell anyone how it worked, and then he went, "Oh, fine, then here's how it works." Right. To Apple in private. It, maybe and now researchers have verified that it was there before. Found out what it was because he never told anybody what it was, and I don't think Apple. No, no, he told answers. Apple that that was a big deal. I no, know, no, he, he part, backtracked. Part, 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 part. <laughs> Let me finish a sentence. He didn't tell anybody before he told Apple. And I believe that after he told Apple, I don't believe he showed anyone else how it worked. And I also don't think Apple tells you exactly what was fixed in, to that level of detail. Well, they do, actually. They cite CVE numbers. Apple are very good about and that. And there's a CVE number called Keysteel? Well, it wouldn't be called Keysteel. It'd be CVE, blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm just curious how anyone could ever connect those two for sure. That would be interesting. But, through Apple's release notes, probably, because they also always credit the person by name. In every if you read Apple's release notes, they'll cite a CVE number, and they'll they'll often thank a person. Hmm. Like, like, depending on whether they found it internally or whether, whether it was reported. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's CVE numbers. It's all, it's all, everything's about CVE numbers, horrible as they are. Anywho. Uh, Android people, just just to tie into our 
top of the top of the show stories. Uh, it's April, therefore there's a whole bunch of new updates for the April monthly update, and it's full of some real doozies. So as soon as your handset can be updated, you should update it. If you are the owner of an Asus laptop, they have updated their live update app to patch a vulnerability that was found being used in the wild by some pretty darn advanced malware that it appears to be nation-state sort of stuff. APT, very, very targeted, attacking specific MAC addresses. So basically, spreading around the internet and being mostly innocuous, but checking the MAC address against a list of people they want to attack, and then if your MAC address matches, boom! Strikes, fairly advanced stuff. Yikes. So anyway, update your races. Um, big update for users of WordPress, or rather, big use, big update for users of a very popular WordPress plugin for sending email called EasyWPSMTP, which is hard to say. Uh, if you're using that plugin, you really do need to update. It has a critical vulnerability in it. Hmm. Um Potentially of a similar level of importance, there is a really big bug in Apache's web server, which is a pretty darn popular web server. It's called Carpe Diem, because you can basically trigger the attack once a day. The silver lining here, the reason my fire extinguisher is at the ready, is because thankfully it can only be exploited on a system that allows attackers to have shell access. So that means random web servers not so much. But it does mean that the one place that's most vulnerable is hosting companies. But hosting companies are also exactly the kind of people whose bread and butter it is to secure their hosting platform. So the people who most need this patch are also the most likely people to have applied to this patch. So I think we're probably okay. And I just want to give a special call out to Naked Security for the pun of the week. Apache needs Apache. (laughs) I like it. Make me smile. VMware patched some nasty bugs in their um, in their massive suite of, of um, virtualization products, it, everything from the enterprise stuff to the desktop stuff. And probably the single most used e-commerce platform online is called Magento. And they're being targeted by an exploit, uh, SQL injection. So definitely if you're small business using Magento, Magento as your payment platform. There's plugins for pretty much everything with Magento. It's just everywhere. Mm. So if you're one of those people, make sure you're fully patched or you could be in big trouble. On to notable news. I really wish this first story was in updates because then there will be something you could do about it. TP-Link SR20 is a router specifically aimed at being a router for use with IoT devices. not entirely sure why it what makes it specific for it, but apparently it's somehow targeted at being an IoT router. Either way, the thing has a really, really nasty zero-day vulnerability that allows anyone who has access to your network to run arbitrary codes as root on the router. So in other words, total pwnage for anyone you let onto your network, which for an IoT router means all of those IoT devices you don't trust so much you put them in their own network, they would all be able to run any code they like on your router. That's not good. Yikes. What's even worse is that three months ago, this was responsibly disclosed to TP-Link, and they didn't even so much as bother acknowledging the report. I hope so they have done nothing. is listening right now, because uh, when he was with me, when I was talking to, um, oh, shoot, what was the 
vendor that drove me nuts that wouldn't do security updates. Anyway, I can't remember the name, but I'm not going to guess uh, the router company, but he said the only one worse was TP-Link. I think he said that. I, I am 99.9% sure we have talked about TP-Link getting fined by the FTC a few years ago as well for just just not doing security properly. Uh, one of the interesting things security uh, Naked Security points out is that the... Um, Email that you the contact form for reporting a bug is managed by their PR company. That shouldn't be managed by a PR company. That should be managed by techies. Oi. Uh, New Zealand, having had a recent reason to focus their minds, have passed a law that threatens social media companies that don't deal with violent content quickly enough with a large fines and B, jail time for executives. So basically, if you're negligent, it'll cost you money, and the people responsible will be held responsible. And literally a few hours later, my newsfeed went ping again, and with rumours out of the UK that the UK government are considering something similar. That's only a rumour, though, but it is interesting nonetheless. Uh, security researchers are warning users of smart cars like Teslas that when you sell your vehicle, you need to proactively wipe the data off it because it's, to some extent, the giant iPod you sit in. <laughs> um, They bought a bunch of second-hand Teslas that were wrecked, actually, so that's why they were able to do it so cheaply. Um, And they were chock-a-block full of unencrypted personal data. Because unfortunately, Tesla don't encrypt the stuff on your car. And they download SMS messages and all sorts of things. They duplicate your, your phone book, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you should, like you wipe your iPad and like you wipe your Mac, if you have a Tesla, which actually my mom ironically describes as dad's iPad on wheels, um, she's right. And so you should wipe it before you sell it. Wow. I'm, it, when I heard the story, I saw this, I was really surprised to, to imagine how many wrecked Teslas are there that they were able to find this treasure trove? Yeah, I don't think their data set was thousands. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, hope. I hope. Yeah, I hope there's not lots of them. Yeah. Um, Tesla then also, now the, the Tesla were also in the news then for a different reason. This is a story that's been subtly misreported to make it more sexy. So the way it's been reported is that you can paint a few circles in strategically placed places and trick Tesla's AI into changing lanes, quote, into oncoming traffic is how it's being reported. That's not a fair characterization of the actual research. So on an empty road, if you carefully strategically place a few spots of paint, you can get the Tesla to get confused and to move into the wrong lane. Now, that's the lane that would be used by oncoming traffic. But the thing is, the Tesla also has LiDAR and everything else to detect obstacles. The researchers did not find that all of the obstacle detection was magically turned off by painting circles on the road. What they found was that on an empty road, the car would move into the wrong lane. Hmm. That's not good, but it's not driving into oncoming traffic, which is how it was reported in the media. Right. And also, Tesla really go out of their way to make you not take your hand off the wheel. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, minor thing like that. Teslas do still make mistakes. I mean, that isn't, they don't have a level yeah. four. We know that for a fact. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they won't even let you, like, I mean, it's only for highway use. And even then, th- there's a reason they do everything they can to make you keep your hands on the wheel. And I believe if you're a naughty boy too often, they actually disable the feature for the rest of the journey. Really? Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah, it was Leo said it. So I I apply my usual Leo said it filter, but Leo does drive a Tesla. Yeah. So, you know, he should know. Anyway, to end on a happy note, uh, a company I think we've said nice things about before because they're, they seem to be a good netizen. Anyway, Cloudflare are the company. They have my favorite DNS provider du jour, 1.1.1.1. They are now enhancing their offering with a new VPN aimed at mobile devices that they're, it's currently in a preview. So it's a limited preview. If you have their 1.1.1.1 app on your smartphone, you can push a button to be added to the queue to be invited to join this new premium, this new VPN service. It's not general availability yet. You did? Oh, yeah. cool. Were you Why accepted? Uh, they, it's fun. They give you your place in line. I'm like 37,128. They, oh. they have not started inviting people yet, though. So if they let 50,000 people in, you're golden. I am. They've called it Warp, which is kind of a cool name, just because we're Star Trek fans. Um, we don't really know how well it works. We don't really know how efficient it is. But what we do know is that it has a business model that is not... Freepy, it's freemium. Mm-hmm. So they will be offering the basic service for free and they will be offering uh, Warp Plus, which I think they should have called Warp 9. But anyway, um, <laughs> they'll be offering a plus version for a fee. So there is a business model behind this. And I would also say that Cloudflare have a track record of being extremely good on privacy Therefore, they have earned my trust and have yet to do anything to violate it. So I am very much looking forward to this service being generally available. Yeah, I I think it sounds fun. There was, I'm trying to remember, there were some other specific characteristics that excited me about it. Um, Did you already talk about the speed? That's a big part of it is how fast it's expected to be. And they gave a bunch of... Um, explanations talking about the way it's done poorly by everybody else but them. Yeah, I mean, they're doing clever things because wrapping a network connection inside a network connection can cause TCP to do really weird and very, very inefficient things. So they're being very clever about the really low-level nerdy stuff. Yeah. Like, oh my God, is it low-level? But yeah, it's they're, they're very... They're good. <laughs> right. It's, yeah, they're, they're, right. they're, they're smart people. Uh, I've also heard interviews with their CEO regularly, and uh, I'm it, 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 good vibes. Anyway, uh, suggested reading then. Um, no PSAs, tips, and advice. That's unusual. There's usually something comes up in that category, but nothing, nothing pinged this two weeks. Uh, lots of bad news under notable breaches and privacy violations. Um, there was a data breach. At an app, which is sort of officially for monitoring your kids, but I would say you could describe it as a stalking or a spying app. It's called Moby Spy, just in case you thought it was all sunshine and roses. Anyway, they suffered a catastrophic data breach that basically lost their database of tracking people. That's not good. Similarly, the family locator slash tracking app Follow Me was leaking real-time location data for its... 340-ish thousand users. That's also a big whoopsie. 
Meanwhile, FEMA managed to accidentally publish their sensitive private information when they were not meant to with a third party. So 2.3 million disaster survivors had their records leaked by FEMA. Genius. And unfortunately, my home nation of Ireland managed to get itself all over the news when a New Zealand couple discovered a hidden camera spying on them in their Airbnb house in the lovely city of Cork. And that sort of made coffee time news and work this morning, and I didn't think too much about it until I read the story in detail. This all happened a few months ago, and the family who discovered the camera immediately contacted Airbnb, whose only answer was, well, if you cancel now, you won't get your money back. Oh, no way. They were treating it as just a regular cancellation. And so they basically, they went to a hotel. They were like seriously not staying in that house. And they tried to contact Airbnb again. And they kept on treating it like it was just a regular run-of-the-mill cancellation. Like they were somehow unreasonably unhappy and wanted to cancel, not like the thing was defective. <laughs> they briefly suspended the uh, the house, the listing, and then put it back online. Oh, and no the only way. reason that it ever got fixed is because the New Zealand National Media got a hold of the story and there was a bit of a Facebook bleep storm about it. And then, and only then, did Airbnb actually bother to permanently ban wow. the spying landlord. Ah! <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought it was just embarrassing for Ireland and now it's just like, is Airbnb the next... Um, the next uh, I wasn't going to say Facebook. That car sharing app that, that, oh, that's Uber? a train wreck. Uber, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, there is more bad news. Uh, I won't dwell on this too much. There are rumours that Toyota may have leaked... Not rumours. Toyota have said that they have been hacked, but they don't know if any data was stolen. But if there was data stolen, it was 3.1 million records. But they're still investigating, so maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's 3.1 million records. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Uh, Two million customer payment cards were sold on the dark web after uh, a chain of Italian restaurants in the US called Buca di Beppo or something. Buca di Beppo. Yeah. Are they famous? Uh, It's a nice, it's a nice uh, Italian restaurant. It's a chain. It's good. Oh, okay. Well, unfortunately, they lost, um, they basically had the malware on their point of sale devices. Mm. That's not good. And also in the not good category for Chinese lesbians, uh, dating app Rila, which was aimed at Chinese lesbians, uh, suffered a major data breach, which basically puts all of their users at risk from discrimination, etc., which is definitely, definitely not good. In terms of suggested reading news, I do want to draw attention. This, this, this definitely is not good news. Uh, we now have a pretty detailed report that is extremely credible of the US government systematically spoofing uh, positioning data from all the major positioning providers, GPS, Galileo, GLONASS and uh, Beidou. So basically intentionally lying to all, not just GPS, but GPS-like devices within a certain radius of Vladimir Putin as he travels about. Basically systematically confusing things and we also know what happened during the war in the ukraine sorry ukraine not the ukraine bad boy ukraine um they also had a bunch of ships go literally go off course because they were mucking around with gps signals Mm. that's not good 
What is good is that Firefox have brought Lockbox Password Manager to Android's autofill. So if you want to use Firefox and Android but not trust Android with your passwords, you can now use Lockbox for your passwords instead and have it autofill and behave itself properly. I don't use Android, so I don't know how good that is, but it sounds good. <laughs> um, and the other thing I just love, uh, technically this is more of a Let's Talk Apple story, but uh, so when Apple made a credit card that doesn't have your number on it so everyone can just lean over your shoulder and basically start paying as you. Uh, MasterCard are now saying, did you know something? That might be a really good idea. I think other banks will probably follow Apple's example and take the number off the card. Good. You know, I I don't know that that's something I would expect to see anytime soon. You realize that the, the reason Apple can do that is because they have this wallet app that allows you to know what your card number is. If they take that off the card yes. for people who don't have wallet, that's not going to work. Yes, they but I'm hoping more companies will go digital. So American Express simply puts it on the back. But that's, you know, that's not a bad idea. No, I was, I was talking. To, <laughs> it's actually a really good idea. I was talking to Rod Simmons about it, and and I was saying he was trying to say his American Express was as cool as the uh, uh, as the Apple Card will be, and I said, well, it doesn't have a card number, and nobody can see it. And he goes, mine's on the back. Oh, huh. Is it titanium is a much better no, question to ask. That's the only I'm focusing on. They're very heavy. I don't carry mine because it's ridiculously heavy. Titanium is light, right? That's yes, what makes that's why we use it for weight ratio. Yeah, because the, the friend of mine in work had an encounter with ice on a Christmas tree and now has a titanium leg. And I believe it is very light and strong. Yeah. Which is why yeah. it's in his leg. It's uh it's almost uh, opinion and analysis. I just Pardon? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I presume you were saying it was as light as aluminum as opposed to as flexible as aluminum, because I don't think I'd want an aluminum leg. <laughs> well, it's actually, what's cool about it is you can bend it without uh, breaking it. it. It's it's very good. Oh. As, we used to make flex pivots at, out of network. And aluminum definitely doesn't meet that criteria. Mm-hmm. Aluminum wants to fall apart if you bend it. Yeah. Anyway, metalworking class, trying to bend aluminum rods without them breaking. Very difficult. Anyway, opinion and analysis. Two things I think are worthy of a read. Um, evaluating popular web browsers in terms of security and privacy. It's an interesting article from readwrite.com. It's not long. They lay out their methodology and then they rank the browsers. It's it's interesting. Um, are there viable alternatives to Facebook and Twitter? Is a question naked security pose and then promptly answer with yes. And then they sort of lay out some of the alternatives and do sort of point out that none of them actually have any critical mass behind them yet. So they're more potential alternatives, I think. Still an interesting read all the same. Actually, quick, quick correction. I was wrong. Uh, the density of titanium is almost double the density of aluminum. But way less than steel? Yeah. Okay, so I think at this point we can cleanse a few palettes. Um, not as many, not, not as nice as I'd like, but anyway, uh, we, I did find something to put here. Uh, did you know that tomorrow night into Sunday night, as we record this, is another Y2K sort of event? No. GPS uses a single number to count weeks. And that number is about to roll over, which means that a particularly old GPS device, if it completely loses its battery, say, and loses all memory of when it is, it may get extremely lost if it ever tries to power up again. But thankfully, that's only going to affect 
old GPS devices with no internet connection. And most of us use GPS on things that very, very much are connected to the internet these days. So I don't think it's going to be a catastrophe, but it is nonetheless another one of these arbitrary length numbers rolling over in tech. (laughs) So it's more of a cool thing than than, than need to panic, really. Uh, And then, just in case you'd like to do some expanding of your mind... An interesting article from Tech Republic explaining three words we keep hearing over and over again. AI, machine learning, and deep learning. They're related, but they're not the same thing as each other. And if you're trying to figure out, you know, which is a subset of which, what, you know, why is, why is, machine learning is AI, but why is all AI not machine learning? Deep learning is, I'm not sure if deep learning is AI or machine learning, but Basically, these terms have different meanings. So if you're curious as to what's going on in all these buzzwords you keep hearing everywhere at the moment, uh, Tech Republic have a nice article to explain it to you, hopefully. Oh, that sounds cool. Palette cleanse. And that's all she wrote, I'm afraid. Well, it started out real happy and then it took a dive down. But uh, we'll try to remember how much more secure Google is and end that on a happy note. Yeah, I mean, I got to say nice things about Facebook and Google in one show. Yeah, but you couldn't hold it up for Facebook, so. <laughs> no, but that's not my fault. <laughs> I didn't say it was. <laughs> I know. All right. Anyway, as my voice begins to go, I think that tells me that this has been a very long security bits, but I'm hoping it was enjoyable. I liked it. Okay, good. Well, until next time, the important thing, as always, is to stay patched and stay secure. Well, I did promise you a long show, and thanks to Alistair's help, and as always, Bart, and extra long security bits that was really, really interesting. I appreciate all the effort there. Well, that is going to wind us up for this week. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at com. You can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, anything you want to find about podfeet starts with podfeet.com slash and the thing you want to do. You want to become a Patreon? Go to podfeet.com slash Patreon. You want to be like Janet and uh, use PayPal instead? Podfeet.com slash PayPal. Another great way to support the show. You can join other No Silicast ways on Facebook at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Or you can uh, hang out with the Slackers over on Slack at podfeet.com slash Slack. And if you want to join the live chat room, it's at podfeet.com slash chat. If you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.